You are listening to Koinonia Church, where we are igniting contagious faith in the one God who restores all. All right, well, good morning, Koinonia Church. God is good. All the time, what wonderful worship already this morning. Pastor Chad's transition ministry time was, was incredible and, and goes right along with our, uh, our message today. Uh, we're continuing our series called Making Room. We're looking at the book of 1 Corinthians. It's really a letter, the letter of 1 Corinthians. And so if you brought your Bible, you can open up right now to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It's bring your Bible to church month. If you've got a physical Bible, would you wave it at me right there for just a second? Awesome, awesome, awesome. Some of you are part of that. Uh, and uh, if you don't have a physical Bible this morning, we've got one for you. There are a number of Bibles there on, on, at the back of the auditorium or just right in the lobby, right as you step outside those doors, you'll see a couple of tables with Bibles that uh, you can grab and use. You can take them home with you. Uh, there's a table right as you come in the door, that come in the lobby doors. Uh, those you can't just grab. Those you have to buy. But we're keeping those stocked with uh, study Bibles and different things. It's almost sold out right now. Uh, so new, new Bibles will be coming in next week. It's almost as if people need Bibles, which I'm excited about. And uh, so we'll have more study Bibles uh, available, kids' Bibles, youth Bibles, those kinds of things next week. We do have, if you are interested still, uh, some copies of the First Corinthians journal. And this is just the text of the letter that we're studying together, First Corinthians in the ESV version. Uh, every other page has text and then a place to journal and take notes. And they're just beautiful. They're really, really pretty. I think these are $10 out there if you're interested in grabbing one before they're gone uh, and studying along. Hopefully you're reading First Corinthians with us. Uh, there's a First Corinthians reading plan that's in version, and if you want to know how to get there and get signed up, just go to the, the Church Center app, which you should have as a part of Koinonia. That's where all the info is, as Chad said, for all of our things. If you go to the More tab and you click on version, you'll see a place that says version. then it'll take you to the church, and you can sign up for that reading plan, and you can plug in right to what's going on. Um, maybe it's your first time today, and uh, I just want you to know, not only welcome, but you're just going to fit right in. This message will be for you. Uh, if you have missed a message and you want to catch up, uh, whether you come regularly or this is your first time, you can always get those online on the website. Uh, the study that we're going through, so that we have small groups that are happening right now. You can still jump into small groups. You can still st start a small group. All of that material is online. We have video uh, study guides, a video, uh, a, a digital booklet. Uh, that you can get there also under the Church Center app, and, and you can just plug right in. Now, this book of 1 Corinthians is interesting. Uh, as most of the New Testament, if you look at your New Testament, and uh, you look at the makeup of, of, of what makes up the, the books of the New Testament, it starts with the Gospels and the book of Acts, and then it begins with letters, or sometimes they're called epistles. And most of those letters are from the Apostle Paul, who was a church planter in the uh, first century, and he went from city to city planting churches, and then he would move on and he would uh, generally write letters to those churches that he'd planted. And we find uh, in 1 Corinthians and also 2 Corinthians uh, a couple of letters that are really incredible uh, communication tools that he used with the church at Corinth that he had planted a number of years earlier. And so there's this, this correspondence that's going on between the church planter, the Apostle Paul, their apostle who had planted the church, and the Corinthian church. And they were asking him questions, and then he would respond in a letter. And that's, that's how we got 1 Corinthians. And uh, 1 Corinthians is an interesting book because the Corinthian church was an interesting church. How, how many of you feel like you're sitting next to an interesting person? 
All right, we got some interesting people in this church. There's no doubt about it. So just like the church of Corinth, right, there was interesting people. They had interesting problems. There was a lot of interesting things going on. And thank God for that because what we get in 1 Corinthians is a really detailed description of what the church is supposed to be like. Because he was dealing with a people that were doing weird things. And when people do weird things, oftentimes you have to explain the right thing, right? And, uh, and so that's why we get such a, such a great book that talks us about so many different things. Now the message today, and if you're taking notes, you can write the top, at the top of your, uh, your, your notes there, the title of the message. The message today is called Stop Trying to Escape. Stop Trying to Escape. Would you just look at your neighbor and say, would you stop trying to escape? <laughs> Tell you what. Oftentimes, we just want to escape. We want to get out of where we're at. We want to sort of just, kind of, God, can you deliver me from this situation? But the reality is, is many times the place where we're at is exactly where God has us. And instead of trying to escape from that place, we need to invite him into that place. And that's what today will, uh, will be all about. Uh, I do want to kind of give you a heads up as, uh, as we get into this chapter. We're going to read, uh, read it in just a moment that uh, today the topic has to do with marriage, it has to do with sex. We're even going to say the word circumcision uh, probably about 15 times. And so if you have little ones and you feel like, you know, I mean, we're not going to get graphic, I'm not going to show any charts or any diagrams, you don't have to worry about that, okay? But if you got little ones and you feel like, you know, that might be a good thing to take them out, and uh, then you can do that. We've got a place for you to watch in, uh, in the great room, or else you can go and, you know, I don't know, whatever you do with your kids. You can put them in classes. You can put them in classes. That's what you can do. Uh, I'm going to invite my wife to come up and read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, my favorite person is going to come and read for us today. We're going to read the majority of the chapter. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 24, and then verses 39 through 40. So if you're following along, whatever translation you're following along is, is okay, but uh, this is the ESV that she's going to be reading out of, and it'll be on the screen as well. So. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To, be, to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord, the wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. 
But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the spirit of God. Would you say thank you to my baby mama right there? Thank you, babe. All right. First Corinthians chapter 7. Interesting chapter here. There's a lot going on. He's talking about sex. He's talking about marriage. He talks a lot about circumcision. And it's easy to get lost in here. Uh, what's interesting about this chapter is that it really is one of the more challenging chapters uh, to interpret and has been interpreted interpreted in a number of different ways over the years. I would say it's one of the chapters that has been the most abused uh, by men, particularly in that section about sex with their with their wives, right? When they're telling, you know, hey, you need you, you're, you're my your body's mine. You know, you need to do what I say to do, and and uh, and it's very very important that we look at this text and understand what it is saying. Now, what Paul does here. Yeah, and some of you, this might be the first time you read through this. You're going, oh, wow, this, is, this gets real. I, I love that how real and practical Scripture is, that it gets right to the heart of things. It doesn't, it doesn't veer off things that are difficult topics that, that, are, that, are, uh, that are normal for us. Uh, and so Paul right here, he gets right into it with them. And what's, I think what's interesting here is that he's, asked, he's addressing a very specific question that they have asked him. Up, up to this point in the book, uh, chapters one through six, he's kind of been speaking to, uh, in generalities. He's writing, uh, you know, kind of an opening thing. He makes statements. But now in chapter seven, he kind of makes a turn and he specifically starts to address questions that they have sent to him in a letter. So up to this point, everything he said is pretty clear. It's pretty easy to interpret. Uh, it's almost like he was writing it to any church, including our church today. We, we kind of pick it up. But now he starts to talk about almost like a, a conversation that's between them. And we are listening almost as if on one end of the telephone call. And we can hear Paul, but we can't hear what they're saying. And so it gets a little bit more difficult to understand and interpret because they're, they're having this sort of private dialogue and private questions that we don't know the whole story in. So we're trying to figure out what it is uh, and we're trying to understand the whole thing, but it makes it easy for us to sometimes misinterpret. And so I would just say the, the way that we come to this chapter is we come with a lot of caution. We come with a lot of sensitivity. And just as Paul does, it's kind of interesting, the tone that he uses in this chapter is very soft. 
compared with the rest of the book. The rest of the book, he's coming very hard. He's just like, man, he's really aggressive. But here, he's, he, you kind of note, he says, well, you know, this is my opinion. I, I don't know this is of the Lord. He says, but no, this is not just my opinion. I think this is of the Lord. And he kind of goes back and forth. And I think in the same way, uh, and the way I'm going to teach this morning is um, with a lot of sensitivity, a lot of caution, and a lot of grace. And so we're not trying to come to this chapter and, and, and say this is absolutely the defining thing, and if we miss it, it's over. Not at all. This is actually a chapter that's full, uh, as you'll find in all of Corinthians, full of grace, and, and that Paul is coming to them, and he wants them to understand how to follow Christ. That's his ultimate goal and all the things that he does. And, and, and so he starts with marriage, and then he kind of backs up, and he talks about a big-picture idea of a theology or a belief system that informs why he's telling them what he's telling them about marriage. So it's one thing, right, when, when, you've, when someone tells you this is what you're supposed to do. It's another thing when they begin to explain why. Any good parent, right, you know that as you, your kids grow, you have to move from just telling them what to do to beginning to explain to them why you're telling them what to do so that it begins to capture their heart, engage their mind, and it begin, they begin to grow in that way. And so Paul says, okay, this is what I want you to do, but now let me explain why I'm telling you this thing. And he begins to give them the background, okay? And he kind of backs the lens up and gives them the bigger perspective. I want to start the message by just giving you that big picture, and then I want to dive a little bit closer into marriage. So I kind of want to do the reverse of what he does in the chapter in terms of writing it. So if you're taking notes, uh, I, I, this is what I would write. I would simply write the big picture of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And as always, these notes, if you want to get them digitally with the fill in the blanks and all that, all the verses and all the things, it's in the Church Center app. If you go to the More button there at the bottom right-hand corner and, and click Sermon Outlines, you can get this message. Now, the big picture of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is this, and I'll just give you the three points. The big picture is that he gives them a, the reason. We see the reason for the, the, the book, or the, or the chapter, rather. We see the difficulty with which he's communicating this, and then we see the solution, okay, that he gives them. So the, the reason that we have chapter 7 to begin with is a confused question. The Corinthians ask Paul, and, and he actually says, you wrote me with this question in your letter. This is the question, or the statement at least. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now what's interesting is that we don't actually know if this is something that they have come up with on their own, or if... It's something that Paul actually somehow said to them, and they're like quoting it back to him, but out of context and kind of misconstruing it. We're not, we're not totally sure, but we are sure that there is a belief that they have, that they're teaching within their church, that somehow sex is no longer a good idea. And that as a matter of fact, they were divorcing their spouses, and if they were staying married, they were not having sex with their spouses. Why? Because they had a twisted, a confused understanding of what it was that Christ was doing in their midst. Now, all the guys in the room go, oh, that's, please, Pastor, clean this one up really fast, because we, we don't want to get stuck in this kind of situation. Uh, so... This is what was happening. The, the, the Corinthians, and this actually, you see this throughout the entire book, the Corinthians had taken the message that Paul had taught them about the freedom in Christ, about the new spirit that they had, the new citizenship in heaven that they now possessed, and they took it and they were twisting it into something that Paul and Jesus 
never intended for it. And they were actually kind of taking um, the, the normal gospel and they were making it something super spiritual, hyper spiritual almost. And they were beginning to live as if they were already in heaven. And, uh, and in heaven, Jesus says, they'll no longer be given in marriage. They'll no longer marry. In heaven, there's a different kind of state, right? In heaven, we'll almost be like the angels in one sense. And they were starting to believe that they had access, the Corinthians were, to that life right now. They were hearing about how Christ, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places and that he's delivered us from uh, sin and delivered us from death. And they were starting to believe that they could live on a spiritual plane. And in this spiritual plane, everything of the body was bad and old and sinful and everything of the spirit was good. So if everything of the body is bad, that means sex is bad. That means marriage, which is a part of this institution of the body and humans together, well, that's maybe not needed either. And so they were starting to tell people to divorce their spouses and to stop having sex inside of marriage because that's of the old life and Christ has invited you into the new life. And Paul says, wait a second, guys, you got it screwed up here. You don't actually understand. You're taking the truth of the gospel and you're twisting it into something that is totally wrong. But we have a tendency to do that sometimes, don't we? We, we, we sort of over and hyper-spiritualize things. We take a little bit of truth and we take it way beyond what it needs to be. And so Paul is kind of pulling the reins on them and he's saying, listen guys, l let's get this theology straight. Let's remember that Christ came in the flesh down to earth. He embraced humanity. Though he was sinless, he had a body. He lived in a body. He died. He went to the cross and he was resurrected and now he lives in a resurrection resurrected body forever. Now Jesus is in heaven right now at this moment, seated at the right hand of the Father in a resurrected human body. Forever he's identified with us. His humanity is so closely connected to us that he, he says, man, I, I love not only your spirit, I love, I love not only your soul, I love your body. And so don't do this thing, Paul says, of trying to separate your humanity out and sometimes somehow believe that your body is bad. Now the body which has sin is a problem. Anybody noticed? A lot of times we were like, man, deliver me from this body. Get me out of here, God. You know, I don't like this thing. But we're going to, when we go to heaven, we're going to get a resurrected body. We're, we're forever as human beings made to be in a body. Now the new body that we'll get will be beautiful. I'll get all my hair back, thank God. I'll be good looking again. I used to be good looking once upon a time. There's going to be some great things about it. We won't have that whole sin thing going on, but we will in fact be a body. And so it's totally wrong, Paul says, to divorce the, the, the life that we live right now in the flesh from the life in the spirit. Those two things are intimately connected. Why? Because you are spirit, soul, and body, and you will forever be spirit, soul, and body. And so when Jesus actually comes, he doesn't come to take you out of this world. Hey, isn't that what Jesus said? I didn't come to take you out of this world, but I came into this world so that you could actually minister to this world. I didn't come to just deliver you out of the situation that you're in. I came to be in that situation with you and to begin to transform you day by day into my likeness. And so they, they were confused and Paul says, let's, let's, clean this, let's clean this up a little bit. Now, there's a difficulty here, number two. The difficulty is this, the right thing for the wrong reason still isn't right. The right thing for the wrong reason still isn't right. Now, what do I mean by that is that 
I think one of the reasons that Paul kind of softballs his tone, right, he's really soft here, is that he kind of agrees with some of what they're saying. He, Paul actually has a belief that it is better to be single if you have the grace to be single. He actually believes that, it, that if you're a single person and that God is giving you the grace to stay single and not get married to somebody, that that is a wonderful state to be in. And so therefore, he agrees with some of the things that the Corinthians are saying, because they're saying, hey, yeah, don't get married if you're, if you're not married. If you're, if you're a widow or a widower, don't remarry. It's not necessary. So he kind of agrees with them, but he agrees with them totally for the different reasons than what they're saying, right? Because he doesn't want them to, under, to think that somehow he agrees with why they're saying the thing because you can do the right thing for the wrong reasons and you're still messed up. And so he wants them to understand what the deal is. Now the deal is this, right? In verse 40 he says, in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. He's talking about a wife whose husband dies, a widow, right? It's in my judgment, she's happier if she remains as she is and I think I too have the spirit of God. So in other words, Paul, he's saying, listen, if there, there is actually a gift that can be given to people who are single, and that is the gift of singleness. And, and, and in saying that it's wonderful to be single, he's actually elevating singleness to a place of equality with being married. Because many times we have the belief that marriage is actually necessary for us to be a complete person. I know some of you do, right? Because we grew up in this world that tells us that. We grew up on Disney movies, many of us. And in Disney movies, there's a person out there. You're only half a person. There's another half a person out there that will complete you if you could just find them, right? They're your soulmate. They're, they're, they're made uniquely just for you. And you spend your life finding them. And when you find them, suddenly there's fireworks and there's butterflies and there's fireflies. And, and your life is complete and you'll, you'll live hev happily ever after. And it's an incredible thing. Why? Because you are now a real person because you found the other person that was made for you, right? You, you know that belief. That's kind of what we tell each other sometimes about marriage. And, and that's a totally bogus lie, right? That is totally, you are a whole person. God made you complete. You don't need someone else to complete you. The only person that you need is Jesus Christ to save your soul, but you don't need another human being that some, somehow is magically going to make you perfect and complete. That's one of the reasons people keep getting married to other people. They keep looking for that person that's going to fix them and that perfect situation that suddenly it's going to be beautiful. And they find when they marry that next person, they go, oh, I'm still stuck with me. I'm still the same person. Why didn't you fix me? I thought you were going to fix me. You, it must be you. Well, let me find somebody else. And, all right? and, and that mentality, Paul says, no, no, it's totally wrong. The way that God has created us is he's created us as whole and full individuals. And if he gives you the grace to be single, then you should celebrate that and live that. As a matter of fact, being married is way more difficult than being single. Hello, if you're married, that should get a big amen. Like, oh God, yes, that is so true, right? Being married, right, is a great challenge. And so Paul says, hey, if you have the grace to be single, stay single because you're going to save yourself all kinds of trouble, bro. It's going to be so much better for you, right? And, and so he elevates being single along with being married. And he says the, the, the thing is, is you need to operate in the grace that God has given you, and you need to stop believing this lie that somehow staying single it elevates you above or keeps you below that this is actually something that God is doing inside of us. Now, number three then, he gives them a solution. 
the solution to all of this, because they were saying, hey, get married, get divorced, stop having sex, get, you know, they were changing their status in so many different ways. The solution is this, he says, stay as you are. He actually literally says that in verse 20, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. That's why I entitled the message, Stop Trying to Escape. This is the, the theology that sort of is underneath all of chapter seven, all of the marriage teaching and everything else that he gives here. He says, guys, you need to understand that when Christ called you, he called you right where you're at. And he comes into the place where you're at. And the work that Christ does is in you. Right? Colossians says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope of glory. But what we're always trying to do is many times we're trying to escape out of the situation that we're in because we think it's always gonna be better somewhere else. And, and so we, we, and the Corinthians were doing this. They, they somehow got confused that the way to true spirituality was to leave the earthly stuff and go into some spiritual place, to leave, right, the marriage and to go into prayer because it's so much spiritual, more spiritual and better to be in prayer than it is to be in marriage. And Paul says, no, 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 you don't understand. It's more spiritual actually to stay right there and invite God to come into your marriage and into your situation and invite God to come and change you because there's some things that need to change inside of you. It's all, have you noticed it's so much easier to be a good person without other people? I would be such a great person except for my spouse. Right? Sometimes we think that. I, I mean, it's so, because it is, it's, it's so much, I'm such a great father when my kids are not around. Have you noticed that? Right? When, when, have you noticed, ever gone on a trip without your kids? You should try it sometime. It's pretty awesome. You, you go on a trip without your kids, and you think, oh, man, you start thinking, man, it's so great to have kids. I love my kids so much, man. And you just think, and then the, the, within 20 minutes, within two minutes of coming back in the door, right, of the house, and, and you start to see your kids, you go, oh, my God, what have I, this is the worst. I cannot, and you find the things that come out of your mouth, and the kids haven't cleaned the house, and such, all that romanticism immediately leaves, and you discover what's really going on inside of you because it's in, re, it's in the real world that transformation happens. It's in the real world that your spirituality is expressed. If you want to be like Jesus, you got to invite him in into the place where you were called. That means into the place where you met him. And so it's just because you were married and then you met Jesus, you don't get to escape out of your marriage. How about this? Just because you're married and you have debt... And, and, I'm sorry, just when you met Jesus and you have debt, you don't just get suddenly forgiven of all that debt. Now, he'll forgive you for being stupid to get into debt, but you still got to pay it back, don't you? Right? And, and so they, they were thinking it was all about the external. That's why Paul starts talking about circumcision. I'm going to see how many times I can say circumcision now in the next 30 seconds. The reason that Paul says, hey, listen, circumcision is not a big deal is because for the Jewish people, circumcision was the biggest deal. It was the outward sign of an inward uh, set-apart commitment to the Lord. It was the gift. It seems like kind of a weird gift, God. Can you, you know? So it was the gift that God gave to the people of Israel to denote that they were his people, different from every other nation on the planet. These were the ones that God gave his presence to. These are the ones that he's leading by his, the pillar of fire and, and, and the pillar of cloud, right? That these are his people was by circumcision. And so now Christ comes in the new covenant 
And, this, and circumcision was part of the old covenant. It was an outward sign of an inward reality. Jesus came to fulfill that, and Paul says, listen, don't get confused. You don't need the outward sign anymore. What you need is an inward reality of the Spirit of God that has come inside of you and the Spirit that begins to transform you. And so he says circumcision, whether or not you cut yourself, is not going to make the difference on whether or not God sees you as his or not. That has nothing to do with it at all. See, Chad, you were all nervous about saying the thing that you were saying earlier about organs and belt and stuff. Dude, just, you know, I'll mess it up real fast, right? I could, I could go in a couple different directions here, but I won't. <laughs> Because circumcision gets you in trouble. But he says, listen, stop trying to go after external things as a sign of who you are in the inside. What we do today is we start looking at Christians uh, and, and the, the in-group of Christians, and we start to see the way that they dress, the way that they talk, the way that they are, the things that they do. And so we thought, oh, I need to adjust myself so I look just like them, just like the perfect little Christian people, and then maybe I can be in with God. And the reality is, is God doesn't care about any of that. God cares about your heart. God actually cares what's going on inside of you. Stop trying to force yourself, right, to look like something else because that's all works. That's all works of the flesh. And works of the flesh don't save you. They don't help you. They don't get you any closer to God. They actually hurt you because they make you start feeling like you got it figured out because now you got your life arranged in such a way that everybody thinks you're really cool and thinks you got it together. They start asking you questions. Oh, you know more about the Bible than, than I do? ask you questions and then we all got all proud but in, in as a matter of fact inside we're still dirty and messed up we haven't actually dealt with the things that we need to deal with and so paul says stop doing that he is he's, he's not only talks about circumcision he talk, talks about social status talks about if if you are a bond servant don't try to get out of that that's a commitment that you have you're not just set free immediately. You have to understand, Jesus is coming and setting you free inside, and he's transforming you inside, and he's called you right where you're at. And so don't try to escape the situation that you're in. The application for us there, as Americans, we're always trying to get out of the place that we're, we are. And a lot of times, we are just try to get Jesus as the reason why we're trying to get out of where we're at. So we want a bigger house. Jesus wants the blessing with a bigger house. We want a better car. Oh, it's the blessing of God. Yeah, God gave me a race. He must want to bless me. Want, must, must want me to put, go in debt a little bit further and get a bigger car, right? Oh, yeah, that's the blessing of God, right? And, and so suddenly we're trying to, we're always trying to go somewhere different. We're always trying to go up to a different social level. We're always trying to get in with a different group of people. We're always trying to go somewhere. And, and, and Paul says, hey, calm down. Stop trying to escape. Rem remember, Jesus will come right where you're at. He actually comes and he changes you and he makes the situation that you're in holy and he begins to redeem the very brokenness that you're at in this moment right now. And if you would only invite him into the place and stop escaping as if that's going to be the answer, you'll actually then begin to see transformation start to happen. God, give us, give us that grace, right, to invite you into the place where we are right now. So, so he gives them this solution, and the solution is stop trying to escape. Now, let me back up to, to marriage then for a moment, because that's what he's doing, and that's why he says these things. Uh, and, and I want to give you just a kind of an overview. We've just got just a few minutes about Christian marriage. And, uh, and I've got four things I'm going to tell you about Christian marriage from this, from this chapter. And I want to make some disclaimers to you, because everybody's getting nervous right now. 
Uh, okay, and, and, and all of a sudden, every, everybody's gonna start feeling guilty because we've messed it up. And I just wanna tell you, we've messed it up. We don't live in the garden. We're not in the Garden of Eden. We're not Adam and Eve. We live in a broken world, and many times we've made lots of mistakes. This is not a message of condemnation. This is not a message where you need to go out of here feeling guilty. Now, yes, sometimes God wants to adjust some things, and you need to listen to that, but the goal here is not for you to feel like suddenly God is unhappy with you because you have messed things up. If you've messed things up, you're in the right place, right? I've messed things up. And I needed the grace of God. I needed the forgiveness of God. That's why we come to Jesus, because he's the one that can actually redeem us. So we haven't done it perfectly. We've, we've messed it up. I want you to know that this is a chapter for Christians. This is, a, this is about the conduct of how Christian marriage is supposed to be, not non-Christian marriage. Uh, and Christian marriage is something different. And the reason why we talk about it this morning, and I think it's the reason why it's important for us to talk about, is because our understanding of marriage oftentimes is a mixture of what the world believes with a little bit of what the scripture says. And, and we, we kind of are trying to sort of adopt our previous beliefs and make them mold and conform to what Christ actually says. And, and we have to actually see what the scripture says and re-educate ourselves according to scripture, not vice versa. We're not, we're not trying to slap Jesus onto what we've done and so that he, he makes everything cool. No, we're actually saying Jesus, oh, okay, is that, is that not cool? All right, forgive me, please. Let me receive your grace. And let's move forward, because that's the way that, that he works. And, and then lastly, let me just say this. I'm not trying to oversimplify, and I wouldn't want you to do this either. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk for about 10 minutes about marriage, and I'm going to say some statements that are true. But if you take them and oversimplify them, uh, then, then you're going to go way twisted off. Um, I'm not trying to say things that would justify abusive situations or abusive marriages. Some of you are in weird, wild, crazy, horrible situations. You need to get into some wise leadership, wise spiritual leadership. You might need to get into counseling and different things. So this is a piece of the truth that you need to take and you need to receive and you need to start to process, but it's not, don't oversimplify it. Hear one message from Pastor Andrew say one thing and suddenly you're off to the races as if you know everything. It's not the way that it works. Okay. So having said that, did I say enough disclaimers? You with me now? Okay, so let's talk about the good stuff. Number one, I'm going to talk about this. Christian marriage, I'm going to talk about four things. Number one is this. About what, did, what does Paul say about sex and marriage? He says, have lots. He says, have lots of sex. He says, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. And he goes on and he, and he says, listen, he says, guys, don't, don't deprive one another of sex. He says, guys, you actually own each other's bodies. You, you actually have rights and duties to one another. Now, this, this text has been abused over the years by men trying to tell their wives, you need to give me sex. What's interesting about this entire chapter is the mutuality with which he addresses, Paul addresses the two sexes. Males and females, time and again, one after the other are equal in the what he says to them. He says, hey, husbands, yes, your, your wife's body is yours, but wives, your husband's body is yours. Yes, wives, you've gotta do this. Yes, husbands, you gotta do this. Every single time he says something to one 
to the wife, he says, it also to the husband. And what, what I love about that is it elevates the position of women within the marriage. When so often we have looked at Paul and thought Paul was actually a woman hater, if we read chapter 7, we actually see that Paul's working very hard to make sure that the understanding in that in Christ, as he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither male nor female, that there is an equality of value between the two. And our marriages should reflect that. It's not one beating the other into submission or telling the other you need to listen to me. It's actually two people who are whole people, both who have an identity in Jesus Christ, who are working this precious and holy thing out that they've been given. And he says, don't, don't be stupid and deny each other one of the most important ways that you can minister to one another, which is sexuality. He says, within the marriage, you actually can save your partner from sexual temptation if you will let it be, if you will be available to them, if you will actually work together to preserve each other, you'll actually make each other more holy and stronger in their walk. So stop trying to use sex as a, as a way to leverage uh, in the marriage. Oh, you, you said something wrong? Well, you ain't getting any tonight. I need something done. You ain't getting anything tonight until it's done, right? Or whatever way you do it, right? You get mad at each other. We, we want something done. We use it as leverage. We do the things that, that we, 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 we know in order to, to it's, it's not a power play. Paul says, listen, we're actually serving one another. We're actually looking for ways to care for one another, and that includes our sexuality. The other thing it says about sexuality here is that God created it, and it's good. It's good within the proper, now, the fact that God created it is good doesn't mean any sex anywhere goes and God's happy with it. God showed us what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be within marriage between a man and a woman committed to each other who are committed to grow in their relationship with each other. That's, that's actually the confines in which that God gives us for this thing to be practiced. But boy, if it's in that confines, he says, go for it. Enjoy it. It actually, so, so yes, it's a right. Yes, it's a duty. Yes, you have authority. But don't manipulate. Don't abuse. Don't use it as a reason to say, oh, you, uh, you know Paul says you need to give it to me. No, come on. <laughs> I've tried that before. It doesn't work very well. <laughs> so Paul is saying, listen, love one another. Love one another in such a way that you actually build your marriage and, and you prevent Satan from tempting each other. And, and don't make it such a spiritual thing. Stop telling your spouse, oh, yeah, you know, I got to go pray so I don't have time for you. And he's like, no, come on. Let's be realistic about this thing. And remember that, that this very physical world that we live in, that that's a part of our spirituality too. Sex is actually spiritual in your marriage. It's not a non-spiritual thing. It's not an unspiritual thing for, for spouses to want to have sex with each other or for one spouse to ask. The, that's, it's actually something that's given by God. Now, the reason why it's so difficult in a marriage is frankly because it has to do with our spiritual development. If it didn't have anything to do with our spiritual development, I'm convinced sex would be totally easy. Nobody would have any problems with it. The reason why sex is so twisted is because it has so much to do with the spiritual work that God is doing inside of us, right? And so marriages is one of those places where God actually wants to work in that area. But man, it's so difficult. Oh my gosh, it's so difficult. So don't try to oversimplify and go home, husbands, and tell your wives, lay down, I got something for you. No, 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 no. 
You were going to sleep, so I just wanted to make sure you're still with me. <laughs> Stop trying to escape the situation that you're in. Stop trying to look for an excuse to get out of your marriage, to get out of your responsibilities, to get out of your duties. Remember that God has called you right where you're at. Secondly, what does he say about divorce? Well, it's very simple and it's very difficult. He says about divorce, don't do it. He says about divorce, God doesn't want it. Now that's the story of scripture, right? Jesus actually said the only reason that Moses permitted divorce was because of the hardness of the heart of man. Right? And so, the, the, is it allowed in Scripture? Yes. But Jesus said, that's not what God wants. And this is what Paul says. He says, that's not what God wants. He wants you to stay married to one another. So in Christian marriages, if you're married to someone who's a believer, verses 10, verse 10 this is what it says. To the married I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. In other words, this is the Lord's idea. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. So the Lord wants you to stay together. He's, he, he stop trying to escape, is what he's saying. Stop trying to look for a way out. Stop believing that another person is gonna really be the one for you and it's gonna fix it. The person that you're married to is the person that God has for you, whether you like it or not. <laughs> they actually have, right? They have the tools there that God has given them to actually do something miraculous inside of you. But you have to stay there and invite him into the process. Now, what's really interesting here is that he starts to talk to people that are married uh, to spouses who are unbelievers. And, and some of you are in that situation today, right? You're, you know Christ and your spouse doesn't know Christ. And in Corinth, they were just figuring, well, if my spouse doesn't know Christ, then that's an, I can just leave the marriage. And Paul says, no, 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 actually, that's the wrong idea. He's, he's, if Christ came to you and, and came in, and, and actually you met him and called you when you were in that marriage, then that's the place that you need to continue to stay as long as your spouse will let you stay, right? And, and as long as it works, then you can continue to minister to them, to testify to them, and to be Jesus to them, the living example of what love looks like, the living example of what humility and patience and forgiveness and kindness actually looks like. But we want to escape out of there so we don't have to do those difficult things. Kindness and humility and forgiveness, that's hard enough in any kind of marriage, let alone a marriage between people that are believer and unbeliever. And yet Paul says, hey, listen, if you do that, then not only are you a witness and a testimony, but you're actually, there's a sanctif a holy power that's being released over your marriage. There's actually a, a spiritual covering that you give to your spouse, he says, and even to your children. There's a spiritual reality here that because Christ has come into your life and into your situation, that he's actually elevated that marriage into a different place and he's put a covering over it that's holy. That's pretty awesome. And so maybe your spouse is struggling. They don't have belief. You, by your relationship with Christ, is offering a covering over them, and you're witnessing to them. And why would you try to get out of that, Paul says? Stop trying to escape. Now, thirdly, about second marriages, he says this, give up the idea. Now, Again, I'm not condemning. I know, I know that we have, we're in all kinds of different situations here. What I'm, what I'm not saying, well, let, let me finish this thought and then, then I'll tell you what I'm not saying. Let me say what I'm saying first. How about that? <laughs> Verse 11, he says, if she does divorce, she 
should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, or, and that's vice versa, right? So if you do actually get a divorce, the appropriate thing to do as a believer is to stay unmarried and to pray and hope for reconciliation. And if reconciliation never comes, you ask for the grace to stay unmarried. Now that's a tough word, but that's actually, that the reason that Paul says this word is because the moment that you get remarried is the moment the door closes to the possibility of reconciliation, which we are actually called to the ministry of reconciliation as believers. Where that, that's actually our primary, God, our primary goal and job is to bring healing into, into relationships. And so once we're married to another person, right, then, 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 then that closes the door. And by the way, if you're, if you're in your second marriage, don't try to go and fix it with your first marriage. Okay, that ship has sailed, right? We are not, we're not breaking up marriages here so that you can go and do this. this I'm just saying the, the appropriate way that Paul says that we're to do it as believers is that we are actually to stay single and pray and ask God to intervene and, and reconcile us with our spouse. And I want to tell you something. I've seen that happen over and over again. I've seen marriages that I no longer believed God could work in, right? And I'm supposed to believe that God can do anything. And I'm looking at this marriage and going, there is no way in any, in any universe that this could ever be healed. And I've seen God come into that situation, heal those people, heal that marriage, restore them, and make them stronger than ever before. That's the way that God can do it if we continue to invite him in, if we stop trying to escape from the pain that we're dealing with. And then lastly, about staying single, he says this, which we've already talked about. He says, good idea. If, if you have the grace for staying single, stay single, right? Maybe you're a widow or a widower. Uh, may, maybe you're, you're unmarried and never been married. He, he, Paul says, listen, if, if you've been gifted with the grace to do it, then, then that's probably way easier than getting into that marriage, right? Because marriage is pretty rough. And, and he actually uses the word gift, spiritual gift. It's the same word that we'll learn about in the coming weeks when he gives all the instructions about the spiritual gifts. He says it's actually a spiritual gift to be able to stay single. There's a grace that God gives those who are in that state. And, and as a matter of fact, it'll be way easier for them because they won't have to deal with their married, the, the person they're married to. And, and as, a, as a matter of fact, that's actually great, right? Which is what Paul says, because then you can be wholly focused on the things that God and the kingdom of God have to do with, and you don't have to worry about that other weird person that you're married to. <laughs> the conclusion is this. The conclusion is this, right? Stop trying to escape. Stop trying to escape. Stop trying to always get out of the situation that you are, and instead invite Christ into that situation and recognize that the truth is that he might actually have you there for a reason, that he's doing something inside of you, that he's doing something inside of the situation, that there's character that he wants to form in you, that he wants to make you look more like Jesus. He wants you to exercise all the fruits of the Spirit, peace and patience and kindness, all of those things that are so difficult to do, so much easier to escape out of them. He's actually inviting us to invite him in and do something transformative in, inside of us. Lord, would you help us not try to escape all the time? Would you just bow your heads just for a moment? Let, let me just pray for you, because I know probably even right now, 
as we're talking about this, there might be some areas where you have been trying to escape or you're, you're sort of planning or plotting a way to escape. Maybe it's an escape out of a marriage or it's an escape out of a job or escape out of uh, a debt or uh, an obligation, escape out of a relationship with a family member. And, and, and the truth is, is that what you need to do is you need to invite Jesus into that situation. And you need to ask him for the grace and the courage and the strength and the transformation so that you actually would be the person who would carry reconciliation, who would carry Christ-likeness, who would carry his, his very presence into, into those places. Lord, for, for those that are here today that, that are in fact dealing with exactly those things, we're asking you for grace. We're asking you for mercy. We're asking you that you would come into our brokenness Lord, I'm praying for marriages today, that you'd come into marriages of brokenness where we, we, we don't have the answer, where it just seems like we keep going around the mountain over and over again and repeating the same things. And we're, we're just at the verge of giving up. Lord, we're, we're asking for new and fresh wind to come into sails right now and for faith to begin to arise and for you to step into that, that moment, that situation and begin to, to change hearts, Lord. Would you soften our hearts? Would you sensitize our hearts, God? We're always pointing the finger at other people. Lord, I, I'm praying that for marriages. I'm praying, praying that for relationships with family members and with friends and situations, God, where we think it's just gonna be easier if we just run away. But you've actually called us to stay. You've called us to be healers. You've called us to be people of, of your presence, people of the impossible, people who bring peace where there is war and division, Lord, that you actually called us back into that place to play that primary role. Lord, would you give your church the grace to do that? Would you fill them even right now with fresh faith, fresh eyes of vision, Lord, to, to begin to see what you're doing, to reach out for it, to stand strong. Lord, every place that we're trying to escape that is actually your hand, would you reveal it to us so that we would say yes to you? Would you show us, Lord, so we can just agree with you? Every place of difficulty, Lord, it's actually, maybe it's your finger really that's there, that, that's keeping us in that thing. And we're, we're trying to resist it. We're trying to run in the other direction and we're, we're chasing after other things. God, would you just come, would you come right now? And would you give us the ability to stand, to stay? Thank you, Lord, that you are the one who girds us up. You're the one who puts us, uh, put the helmet of salvation on our head. You, you put the gospel of peace on, on our feet. You've prepared us, Lord, and you're doing that today. Lord, would you strengthen your church, I pray. Would you strengthen your church in the name of Jesus? Every person in this room, every person within the sound of my voice, Lord, that right now your grace would just begin to flow as people reach out for you, just in their hearts, Lord, as they just reach out for an extra touch, for an extra amount of grace, for an extra little bit of ability to forgive, Lord, an, an ability to stay strong, an ability to be courageous, an ability to say no to the enemy and to temptation. Oh God, would you just fill your people even now with your goodness and your grace. Help them to stand with courage. In Jesus' name, I pray. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand? Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can join us in person on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. or online at the same times, including Saturday and Sunday at 6 p.m. Visit our website at kchanford.com. Koinonia Church, 
where we are igniting contagious faith in the one God who restores all.